This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 59th edition of Sports and Stuff on RainierAvenueRadio.world. Today I have a very special guest, Steve Bunin. Steve is a longtime media anchor and sports host. Steve is currently a morning anchor, I believe, at King 5, and he's previously worked at many networks, including ESPN. Before I go further with this interview, I want to recognize my engineer today, Daniel Billis. Daniel is also the host of the Fresh Juice Show at Rainier Avenue Radio. Daniel does a lot of good work at our station. Uh, let me give a little background, Steve, before I get to you about what's going on at RainierAvenueRadio.world. We're on the World Wide Web based in Seattle. Our sports department has shows hosted by yours truly. Rick Dupree hosts a show, one-on-one with Duke, Granville Emerson, Ronald Laurent. Our co-host of a fun show, Lidline Sports. Masvita Marari is a host of a show, Seattle Sports Weekly. Uh, Pat McCarthy and Masvita also host a uh, show on the Seattle Metro Sports Conference. Mark Bryant has a fitness-based show. So let me throw a little plug to my Rainier Avenue Radio sports colleagues. There's also a lot of news shows here, music shows, all sorts of shows at Rainier Avenue Radio. Good stuff going on here. My sports and stuff show has been around now for over two years. A lot of my interviews are on my law firm website, pluslawoffices.com. Many are on Mixcloud, where to continue to upgrade the the archives. You can follow me on Twitter and on Facebook. Well, Steve, let me get back to you for a minute. Um, Steve grew up in Mercer Island. Steve Bunin is currently, as I mentioned earlier, the morning anchor at King 5 TV in Seattle. From 2003 through 2012, Steve had, Steve had a run at ESPN where he anchored a variety of shows, including Outside the Lions, Sports Center, and College Football Live, Baseball Tonight. Gosh, the list goes on on what Steve did at ESPN. Steve was also a lead anchor in Houston for ComcastSports.net. Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Steve also grit his teeth and got experience in some other smaller markets such as Lansing, Michigan and Syracuse, Syracuse New York. Um, Steve's a graduate of Syracuse University. Well, Steve, today we're going to learn more about your career and have a conversation about a whole bunch of sports and media topics. Steve, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Thanks so much for having me, man. I, that's a lot to live up to. And I just, for all the stuff you guys do on the site... Fantastic. No, I'm super thrilled to be a part of it, and uh, I'm all yours, whatever you want to ask. Right well, away. honored to have you as a, as a guest, Steve, and uh, I know this is applicable to you. Uh, happy New Year, and I hope you've had a good Rosh Hashanah. Thank you. You too as well. I actually, i got to say, uh, I did a little segment. I started doing these about a year and a half ago here on King 5, uh, Hanukkah 101, because I just felt like, you know, most of the public has they've heard of, this, of Hanukkah, but they have no idea what goes into it, and frankly, probably a lot of Jews don't know, and myself to learn. So I started doing this just on a whim, and, and it was a pretty popular segment. Anyway, so I did Rosh Hashanah 101 uh, on the Friday before the Jewish New Year, and got a lot of good feedback, both from Jews, but it's, it's probably even more meaningful to me from non-Jews, just viewers who are like, you know, I'm friends, I never, I didn't know why it's called Rosh Hashanah, what do the words mean, what's the thing with that, blowing some horn and it's a trumpet, <laughs> or what is it? So it just kind of to me the ABCs of, you know, Rosh Hashanah um, has been a lot of fun, and it's kind of a rewarding thing to do, to dive into, especially in an area where people get really, you know, tense and anxious around religion and talking about religion, and I feel like if it's, I'm not process. I, I'm just a little education here, and, and that I would benefit if I had religions I was, you know, kind of in the dark about, and Jews make up, I think, 1% of the population in Washington State, so it's sizable, but not that big. So it's an opportunity to give a little, you know, 90-second bite-sized version of the ABCs of Rosh Hashanah, and um, got a kick out of it, and then even in a synagogue, and I go to a modern Orthodox synagogue, so it's kind of you know, a, a higher level of, of general knowledge, and the people there weren't um, turned off by it either, so I was proud to kind of thread that needle between you know, appealing to the 99% of people who have no idea about it, and then the you know the 1% of the 1% who are orthodox in my, in my sort of daily world, who you know I don't want to dumb it down to a point where they feel insulted. So I was kind of 
Simple way of saying it was shot a lot. There you go. A lot, a lot of education there that you're you're providing uh, people in, in many communities. And I did see your uh, Hanukkah segment a year or two ago. That was well done on on King oh, yeah. Five. Well, Steve, you <laughs> grew you up. Know, any excuse to spin dreidels on a news desk to me, you got to take advantage of that. Only in America, I like it. I like it. Steve, <laughs> you you grew up in Mercer Island, the son of a physician. Why don't you share with us for a minute how you got the media bug? And my next question for you, which you can pack just package together here in your answer if you want. If you did not go into a career in media, what career do you think you would have chosen? Uh, so it's a good, good question to be intertwined. So for one, um, I got the bug because I've always, I think, been really curious and really pretty comfortable in, on, on stage, so to speak, or in front of a crowd. And although I loved sports and continue to love sports, I realized, you know, middle school that I was not going to be uh, the next Mike Owen or the next Freddie Brown or the next, uh, you know, Jim Zorn. It just wasn't in the cards for me. I loved it. I'm pretty good at sports, but for an enormous human, not for an, a true athlete, a uh, professional athlete. And so broadcasting was just a way to sort of to think about, you know, being in sports, um, specifically at that time in my life, you know, as a teenager, be in sports and do something that I love uh, and, and something that, that, that I think I'm pretty good at, talking and interviewing and writing. Those were all strengths of mine, as, even as a fifth, sixth grader. And so that's probably when I got the bug was as a preteen. Um, and then uh, zeroed in on Syracuse as a place to, to, to go as the sportscasting, you know, sort of iconic uh, school in the country where so many big names have come out of there from going back to Marty Glickman and Dick Stockton and Lynn Berman and Rev Albert and Bob Costas and Mike Tirico. And, you know, the list goes on and on. And so many play-by-play guys all over the country, uh, Iron Eagle, you, you, you can go on. Um, so, so I was really zeroed in on sportscasting as a career. And then Syracuse, uh, as a young teenager and then in high school, I only applied to one college. You know, it's very driven. I'm very much a write-a-goal-down, you know, long-term, medium-term, short-term goal kind of guy and trying to make everything work so that I would ensure myself to get into Syracuse. And then I did. And then what do I do to ensure I'm at the top of the you know, cream of the crop of all the kids who want to be the next pop concert? And tried to do what I could there at the student campus radio station and TV station. So super in line, and that kind of answers the second question, which is I never really had a backup, and I think it actually helped me because I faced a ton of rejection. You know, like this great school and came out, you know, just inspiring. I, you know, had a lot of unemployment, um, was really down on either my luck or my career, whatever you want to call it, for a lot of the time before I got to ESPN. I was probably unemployed for seven or eight years between uh, graduating college and getting to ESPN. And then when I was employed, it was a small TV station. But I had a million opportunities to you know, go another way. I would, would have been better financially, more safe, and more secure and more stable, right, where I'm not moving across the country. I moved like, 11 or 12 times in a seven-year span. Wow. Back and forth across the country. For a bit, right? I mean, that takes a lot out of you. And coming back to the JCC on Mercer Island, where I grew up going to camp and preschool and playing basketball and, you know, AVA and things like that, and then going back and playing pickup games with the guys, and it was like, where are you now? You're in Flagstaff, and then come back. Why are you here for three months in a row? Oh, you're unemployed? What the, why are you, you know, what are you doing typing for a living? And why are you scrubbing toilets for a living? And then, oh, you've been gone. You're, back. you're in Kalamazoo, Michigan. What are you doing there? And, it, you know, you, this sort of, like, journey, and all these opportunities where I could have said, you know, I'm just going to do something else. And I never just did. And I think that kind of helped that stubbornness, that goal, oriented, driven type of personality, um, I think helped lead me to where I got, which was also through, you know, a lot of luck too, right? The, the recruiter at ESPN, like it was on my resume that I submitted in whatever it was, 2002, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have got that dream job, but I did. And 
the only tweak to that is that along the way, the older I got in my late 20s and then even in my 30s, working with kids and coaching, and then I was a substitute teacher uh, on Merthyr Island and in Seattle and Bellevue at one of these uh, that's where I was unemployed, or you know, as I call it, unemployed, out of broadcasting. Um, I did get a love for that and for teaching, and I feel like now if I, you know, won the Powerball or was struck by lightning or, you know, couldn't do my job anymore, that I would be very fulfilled to be a teacher, a coach, um, mentor, or social worker, something like that where I'm helping kids, especially kids in need. So that's like, in terms of my maturity, I feel like that's something that's come into my world, whereas in my 20s I was just super hyper-focused on sportscasting uh, the, the, the dream of getting to ESPN but it wasn't like I would have considered myself a failure if I hadn't nor do I consider anyone who didn't get to a network right if I had been in Spokane for 20 years or Seattle for 10 years or wherever um, that would have been a success to me I just I, I got lucky enough to cash that lottery ticket for my career and nine years at ESPN were sort of the, the well, what a great run. I mean, you just learn more about what an amazing program Syracuse University has for broadcasting. Did not know about your, your teaching background, so it's just always fun to learn more about a guest. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue, Radio.World, with uh, King 5 Morning Anchor Steve Bunin. Steve, you had a run. I want to ask about this. You had a run, I believe, in the early 80s as a bat boy for the Seattle Mariners. Yeah. Tell us about that yeah. experience for a minute. I, I should remember yeah. those early 80s kingdom days. I'm a couple years older than you, but uh, I remember that that, yeah. that era very well. That kingdom, right. So, well, it's funny because that's kind of where I did some of my first broadcasting work was taking an old tape recorder. And if you're under the age of 30 listening to this, Google. But um, you know, go up to the empty stands of the kingdom in the 300 section in right field. And I would have my lineup cards of, you know, Alvin Chris and Spike Owen and Bill Bradley, Jim Presley, and those two, Dave Valley and those teams. And I would do, you know, my little, you know, Mariners are three to one, fourth inning, coming back to the mm-hmm. United Kingdom. Like, that was kind of a start for me. And I'd listen to it and be like, oh, my voice sounds, before it even changed. You know, my first tape, then it does when I speak it. Like, that was a, a lesson for me early on. So, I mean, I just loved the Mariners all the way through. But, um, and so the summer, it was the season of 1990. And that winter, a friend and I, Another uh, Brian Brindley, another Mercer Islander. Uh, he and I went to the Mariners headquarters, some office in uh, Seattle at the time, and just applied. And it was like applying for a job at Blockbuster Video. Again, kids at Google. Um, <laughs> for a, you know, a, a summer job. And it wasn't any different. I had no contacts. I didn't know anyone with the team or ownership. I didn't know any in. Um, but they called us back for an interview, me and Ryan. And then there were like 10 other kids. Already I feel like I, I'd won the lottery because I was walking into the kingdom in, I don't know, January or something. And I just, you know... I'm in the next to the lockers of my idols, right? And um, and they sat all of us down to interview. And I, what the, only, the only thing I really remember was asking for kind of they asked for show of hands. I remember to you, we're all sitting in the clubhouse, like you know, ten or fifteen or so teenagers, and they say, "Who you, know, you collect cards?" And I have to admit, you're on your podcast it was a little bit of a white lie that I was never a hardcore card collector, but you know, I was 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. I collected baseball cards. I did as well, but I said no. I right, but I, I said no because I felt like I realized they were trying to eliminate kids who would be there just as autographs. I think I, I knew one of the privileges of being there, you get to be up close with the players, but I had this, you know, kind of good feeling that they didn't want kids who were just so starstruck that they would be asking for autographs all day because the players just didn't it. So I don't know, you know, I think that, that sort of helps separate me from the pack because right if five guys' hands go up, I feel like they're okay. You know, I'm not, not hiring him, not hiring him. And then the rest of us got through. So my friend Ryan and I were both uh, uh, chosen. And uh, so I started actually the, the season. So it was one season. I was 16 years old. I also was able to drive. So my birthday was February. So by the time the season started in April, I had a car. And, you know, bless 
brothers the hand-me-down car that, that we were able to provide that for me. So I had my Mitsubishi Tradia. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was driving the base Tradia um, that I rocked and really impressed all the high school girls with. Uh, but I drive, so after school, I had to 3 o'clock. I to drive to the Kingdom. And I, got, I started in the visitors' uh, clubhouse. So it was like Wade Boggs and Don Mattingly and Kirby Punkin. And they switched me, and I'm glad they did after a couple weeks to the Mariners' uh, dugout and the clubhouse. And so I then got to spend a season with them. That was uh, Ken Griffey Jr.'s second season. His dad came in halfway through the year. Randy Johnson threw the no-hitter the first season in history. I was there for that. Um, Alvin Davis, Brian Holtman, Harold Reynolds, who I later worked with at ESPN, which was insane. Same with Tino Martinez. He was a September caller. So that summer, it was amazing. I mean, we could do five hours of the podcast just on my story of being a bad boy, but it was really, really a blast. Um, I, we were... I just I, I could go on for hours. But it was also good uh, educational in terms of for being in the media, a lesson in what changes when those doors close. And you know, especially even in baseball, there's a lot of downtime and the media's walking around in locker rooms and you get one on one time with the players and I got to do that as a media member in the minor leagues and uh, dancing a little bit in the majors as well in Michigan. Um, but knowing from the player side of it that there's a little bit of openness, but once the doors close, it changes. And maybe it's more fraternity or more angry or more jovial or more silly or whatever, depending on the day, team, the season. But um, just having that awareness that never, as a member, you're never really part of the team. I don't think you should ever really try to be part of the team. Like, you're not PR. You're supposed to be able to tell the harder stories, and you can't do that if you're buddy-buddy with everyone on the team. Um, at the same time, you're trying to develop relationships and, you know, and whatnot. But uh, I just remember feeling that a part of the team in a way that you never are as a media man. Steve, we're kind of breaking up. Uh, You might be out in a bad cell phone zone. Yeah, that's I'm better bad. now. That's better now. Started, started over bad, or I'm okay. No, it's fine now. Fine now. Paul, you lost me in the summer of 1990. What a what a fun experience, a baseball bat boy. I could, if I have you back one day, I'd love to talk to you more about that whole experience. Paul yeah. Schneiderman again, host of sports and stuff on Rainer Avenue Radio World with Steve Bunin, King Five Morning anchor, former ESPN anchor. Well, believe it or not, Steve, the interview is almost halfway over. I want to get some more subjects in here and. Uh, sure. You had a dream job for many American sports fans. From 2003 through 2012, you were involved in many ESPN shows. You were an anchor. If you had to pick one show or segment you did at ESPN, which one did you enjoy the most? Great question. All right, so I'll throw a couple away real quick. For sure, Outside the Lines was my favorite show to do uh, that I did most often. Um, it's just an honor to you know work on a show that Bob Lee you know, made his own. And I love that he's a part of sports, right? Sexism in sports, um, racism in sports, uh, overcoming adversity, all this kind of 9-11 in sports and vice versa. So that's the show I love doing the most. Um, although I, I love doing like all of them. Anytime you sit on the sports center set, you pinch yourself. And I did. Um, like you mentioned it, uh, the podcast live, too. Uh, the one thing for sure, I, I really earned my stripes most sports reporters, which has since been canceled, but it was um, sort of around the horn before around the horn with screaming and more, I think, you know, intellectual debate. I had to substitute on, on a little set and notice John Saunders was the normal host, and I think he'd been a theater on his way in, couldn't do it, and they could bring me in. So it was like 11 or something. And I'm supposed to be sports center that morning, went on to do it, but on the, I, I have like 30 minutes notice for a show that usually you get a week to prepare before I got the set and served my way through the bulls and the payouts. And Steve, we're still breaking up a little bit. Just, just maybe getting a little better cell phones. I'm sorry to, sorry to, um, I want to keep oh, hearing okay. you have to say, okay. 
Maybe I'm gonna. I'll try to go to another room. I'll try to go through the newsroom, but I'm gonna get to that. We have very weird cell, cell phone coverage here. Better uh, now. It's better now. It's supposed to be better. Better now. All right. Better good. now. Yeah. So anyway, the, so the outside the line is the show that I love doing the most on a daily basis. Uh, sports reporters was the one day I really felt like that was maybe my proudest moment there. And then the most fun was probably the time Justin Timberlake and Mike Myers came to promote <laughs> their movie, The Love Guru, the Academy Award winning. No, I'm kidding. A horrible hockey movie. But <laughs> just getting to meet them and, and me introduce myself to Justin Timberlake and him. And I was pretty young at the time that he has less than one or two years into my career there. And, and I say, hi, I'm Steve Bunin. And he goes, oh, I know who you are. I watch you every night. And I'm like, wow. My life has changed in a way that two years ago I was in Kalamazoo, and now Justin Timberlake knows who I am. Isn't so, that something? Um, not that he and I are not that he are Facebook buddies, but nonetheless, it was a really big pitch me moment. So that, those are some of the, the top moments, uh, if I had to name them. Steve, you just mentioned Justin Timberlake, and you've met many, many famous people. You've interviewed many famous people. Who's a famous person that you have not interviewed that you'd love to interview? Oof, that's a great question. Uh, I was, yeah, blessed to do... A lot of interview shows, so I got to do the Peyton Mannings and LeBron James and, and some of the celebrities, you know, Bon Jovi and Justin Timberlake. Uh, Federer, I got to interview him. That was a definite great one off the bucket list. Uh, someone I did, you know, I never interviewed Steve Largent, which would have been a total dream because he was my hero growing up. I have had the chance to uh, meet him mm-hmm. and spend an evening with him, and that was unbelievable. And that's the time I was most nervous. You know, I've been I blessed to get to interview all these guys. You get a little bit numb to it. You don't you don't get as nervous. But when I met Steve Larson, it was literally shaking as if I was 11 years old. Uh, I got to interview Costas. That was a total. He was my my you know idol in terms of, of uh, sports casting. So those are two guys that were, the, were at the top of the list. But Larson is the one guy I haven't interviewed formally that I would love to do some sometime. I, you know, I take the back. I interviewed him on the radio show that I used to do, but uh, on TV, that's the one I haven't done yet that comes to mind. A lot of, lot of big names there. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff. You're just tuning in with uh, Steve Bunin on Rainier Avenue, Rainier.world. Uh Steve is a King 5 morning anchor, long-time career, been at ESPN, many networks. Um, you have worked with many prominent broadcasters. One broadcaster I believe you worked with is the late Stuart Scott. Many fans identify with Stuart. He was very legendary, in particular in the African-American community. What was it like working with Stuart Scott, um, Steve? Yeah, so I did get to work side-by-side sort of for, boy, well, yeah, my entire time. I was there nine years old. We never did a show together, so I didn't have the experience of sitting next to him, like with Greenie, Mike Greenberg, I got to do that. Um, so I, I I know you know how much people there loved him, and I know how how much people there respected him. Um, so that's those are the big takeaways that I got from him was someone who's at that level of fame to still have that level of uh, respect within the hallways of the you know the the trenches so to speak because I think that doesn't happen all the time and guys can get too big for the britches and sure. I think the thing that I like most about that is that he wasn't that way and my funniest Stuart Scott story is we did <laughs> we played in a flag football charity game against the Bristol Connecticut Police and Fire Department <clears throat> and we're all there after the show and we're in you know shorts but like basketball shorts and t-shirts or whatever and Kenny Maine is our quarterback Seattle guy sure. was a college quarterback at UNLV right with Randall Cunningham and he can really fire it so we're running you know kind of routes as we're warming up hey, yards throw it out whatever so stewart comes in literally as if he's racing from the parking lot full spandex skull cap all the way down to like full leggings before any of the, any guys wore that full you know long sleeve shirt he's got the gloves on cleats you know other than shoulder pads and a helmet get everything on and he sprints onto the field and he goes you know something like you know kenny 
15 yard out. Hit me. Runs a 15 yard <laughs> out. Kenny fires the ball to him and he drops it. And like, and he had as good a time with us laughing about it as anybody else. That's my best Stuart Scott story right there. Fun story. Well, Stuart Scott was known as a, as a down to earth guy. And I, I liked uh, the little insights you shared about him. Paul Schneiderman again on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue radio with uh, Steve Bunin. Got a couple minutes left. Steve, I read that in 2012, this is really cool. You received the volunteer service award from president Barack Obama for your volunteer efforts, primarily with at-risk teens. Tell us a little bit about that award, and uh, did you meet President Obama? So I would love to say that I did, but I didn't. I did attend his initial inauguration. I drove down from Connecticut for that. That was pretty cool, and I got to attend one of those balls. So I saw him from 10 feet away, but I never met him. That was a, a certificate that I, that I got. It is signed by him. Um, for this work that I did, I just, you know, it's funny because in my career, I was traveling all over the place and moving all the time, and I had a hard time connecting uh, early in these communities. And I started to coach youth basketball, happened to do a, a couple of kids on my team were in a pretty rough situation on their home front, and the mom asked if I could just sort of mentor, hang out with them a little bit. And it just planted the seed in me. And then ever since then, so for now it's been 25 years or so, uh, working with at-risk kids, uh, mentoring, uh, mentoring them, um, as well as coaching youth basketball, high school basketball, things like that. And then uh, somebody asked one time, hey, log all the hours you can do, and I logged in some kind of, I don't know, thousands of hours. And uh, so that was what the award was for, for putting forth you know, so much of an effort. And um, I'm so proud of the, the work. All these kids, I, I love them. They're all still like family to me. Um, so it would have been super cool to meet President Obama, but honestly, the work that I did with the kids, like I don't need a certificate for it. I'm glad to have it. But honestly, that's a huge part of my life that really fulfills me as a, as a human is is trying to get in contact and you know benefit from them as much as they benefit from me. Well, you certainly inspired me, Steve, with your words. I did the Big Brothers program one year. But there's a lot more I could do to help at-risk kids, and I, I it's really neat uh, what you had to share with for the listeners. So, Steve, you've been at King 5 now, I believe, for a couple of years, and how do you like the transition from being a local news anchor versus pretty much an all-sports uh, anchor? So I love it. I mean, I'm always going to love sports, and it's always going to be in my blood. But as I got about halfway through my time at ESPN, I, I realized that I was uh, more drawn to the investigative stories, the outside-the-line stuff that really transcends sports and goes into more news and sports. So I'm always thrilled to do a Seahawks Broncos breakdown, but I felt more kind of intellectually turned on by the deeper stories. So I, at that point, I had a little bit of a seed of, I think it's important to be a transition to news. And then went to Houston for a sports gig, but the network there went bankrupt. And um, so then I had another opportunity, and if I was going to make a move, I felt like that was the time to then transition to news. Uh, long story short, the opportunity came up here at King 5 uh, about a year and a half after that all fell through in Houston, and it was perfect because I get to come home. You know, it's my hometown. All the school, I know how to say Stillicum. I know how to say uh, Yakima. You know, <laughs> like that was a fit, uh, and I feel like I have a good idea of the fabric that makes up Seattle. But at the same time, I had lived all over the country for 20 years, so I was I sort of missed this boom of Amazon and Microsoft and Expedia and Google and all that. So I had both the outsider and insider's perspective, and it was really a perfect chance to come home you know, hang out with my old friends and do the job I've been doing, but in a new way, news versus sports, and in, and in a new environment, which is at home, a lot of my friends and family watching all the time, and that's been really cool, and it's just a, it's a total dream come true. Honestly, I mean, I've had a lot of challenges in my career, and a lot of frustrating, you know, rejection and whatnot, but I've also had a totally blessed career that's been touched by, I don't know, God or luck or whatever, whether, you know, ESPN, the Bat Boy kid, and now to come home in Seattle and work at a great station like King 5, it's 
I'm, I'm as lucky a person as you will ever have on your podcast. I can guarantee that. Well, you're, you've had a great run in the media field, heck of a run, great stories, and you've had to overcome some some challenges. I know that years ago, Steve, you had, a, I believe, a cellulitis diagnosis. Tell us about that episode. Oh, I think you were yeah. 29 years old then. Yeah, this was pretty rough. I was, before I got to ESPN, this was in Lansing's, probably two years before I got to ESPN. I just I did the 6 o'clock news, the sports sportscast, noticed my leg was swelling up, went to the hospital, and uh, it was, it was you know, this usually it's if you get hit by a bat or a ball, but I hadn't, you know, there's no intramural softball league. I they still know how I got it. Um, they sent me home. I had to come back in eight hours. I had an ivy needle in my arm. True story. And I said, well, you know, I'm the only sports guy, and I just got hired. I need to make a good impression. Can I... Can, can I just leave the needle in and, and, you know, kind of cover it up and do the 11 o'clock show and come back at 2 a.m. for my next hit? They said, sure. So I drove myself back to the TV station and literally did a newscast uh, with the, an IV needle sticking out of my arm, no jacket. I had my, my you know, white uh, long sleeve shirt rolled up so they, so they didn't have to affect it. So that was uh, pretty crazy. And then I developed uh, another it to still another sort of uh, blood problem after that. And it was really uh, sort of touch and go. Uh, and I was in the hospital for a week, but I made it out fine, and now I'm fine. But it was a pretty scary situation, and, you know, you're all alone in Michigan. You don't have family. You don't really have friends. You're just trying to do work as a 20-whatever, 7-year-old uh, young man. So that was pretty scary. But, you know, between that and some other things I've gone through and loved ones have gone through far worse, I have I had a really good perspective, I feel like, on life. And when I got to ESPN, I would say, like, uh, you know, no one will ever say I was the most successful anchor there, right? Not, not Scott Van Pelt, not Dan Patrick. I'm not Keith. Over, I'm not in that league. But in terms of people who enjoyed it the most, there's no one who had a better time and appreciated it more at ESPN than I did. And it's because of uh, not even that in, in Lansing what I went through, but just some of the other hardships that I endured and what I've seen other people go through and uh, cancer and things like that. Kids that I've loved that have lost to that. So. That kind of stuff makes you appreciate a dream job like ESPN or King 5 all the more. And that's truly, truly how I um, spent my time there was just pinching myself every day. Oh, I get to interview Joe Montana today and Justin Timberlake today. And I get to, you know, work with Jay Williams and Doug Gottlieb. Great. Sign me up. And I would do it all over again. What a great run, Steve. You've seen a lot of stuff in, in this world and you've had a fasting life. Well, we got maybe a minute, minute and a half left, Daniel, I think. Um, what, what's in the future for Steve Bunin? Uh, didn't Madonna once say conquer the world? No, <laughs> honestly, I mean, I love where I am. Like, I, and we haven't even talked, but like, I mean, I'm the luckiest guy in the world with an amazing wife who's a doctor here uh, in Bellevue. And my, our daughter is unbelievable. And our two Huskies are great. And I'm living kind of a charmed life. So my goal now is not to screw it up. You know, I honestly, like that's with all the rejection and, and failure and getting fired and stuff in the business in my twenties that I went through, and there is always a little bit of that sort of scar, you know, that, that uh, scar tissue of life where you feel like ah, the boss is going to call me and every, you know, whenever sure. you get an email from the boss, uh-oh, uh-oh. So I think that's always with me a little bit. And I think a lot of people have that in our industry and maybe, you know, maybe have it as well. And maybe people, people do in every walk of life. But certainly in this industry where you're very much the subjective, you know, what have you done for me lately? How, do you, I like the way this guy looks and how is he working with his co-anchor and what's he done for me? And, and I think that's what kind of helps drive me. But, yeah, don't screw it up is, is my next goal in life is just kind of uh, see where that, that takes me. But just keep telling great stories in Seattle and not just sports but news stories too where it's, Politics, homelessness, kids in crisis, um, things like that. I did a story on David Hughes, the former Seahawks running back, and he's doing amazing work with kids in the inner city here, housing them at his house, feeding them kids that you know just don't have a dad to look up to, and he provides that for them. Stories like that I love to tell, and the more I can do it, the better I'll be. Well, Steve, I really appreciate coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Where all that's you and I stay in touch. Thanks, man. Take Anytime. care. Bye bye.